There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello and welcome to The Fear, a podcast about the overlap between comedy and horror. My name is Sarah Morgan. Hello. My guest this week is Terry White. Terry White is the editor-in-chief of Empire Magazine. She's also the former editor of Time Out New York. Uh, She is a brilliantly funny writer and human being, um, as you'll know if you've read her stuff or you follow her on social media. She is someone I could talk to for hours about film and her uh, intensely personal relationship with it. We recorded this um, in the Empire office a while ago. Um, some of the stuff in this chat uh, gets a bit raw. There's um, kind of inappropriate laughter between people who are genuinely friends with each other. Um, if you are a human being, some of this conversation may make you feel things, and uh, and that that's okay. Um, the more light we throw on shadows, the more we share our stories, and the more we stop and listen when people are telling us their stories. I, I think the, the world will have less fear in it. Just my hot take on such things, but there you go. Um, we also talk about True Romance, which is a film we are both huge fans of. Um, uh, Dead Man Shoes, Scum, Nuclear Holocaust adverts in the 1980s, Watership Fucking Down, the terrifying rabbit-based death movie from our childhoods. Um, it is um, actually way more jolly and life-affirming uh, than it sounds. Uh, please enjoy Terry White, adore her, worship her. Uh, follow the show on At The Fear Podcast, uh, rate and review it, let me know what you think, and see you next time. But please, for now, enjoy the goddess that is Terry White. Cheers. So hello Terry White. Hello, <laughs> good. Get off your phone. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm such a bad person. This is, this right. So showbiz. I love it. Um, so um, yeah, Terry White, uh, my friend. Can I say that? You can, can say, that? say that. I'm so happy. Um, I've known you for ages, but in, in yeah. various journalistic uh, capacities. But you are currently the editor for Empire Magazine. I am. And. What's that, like? What's that like? What's that like? It's pretty, yeah, yeah. actually. Um, it's um, it's one of those things that I kind of always dreamed of editing mm-hmm. um, uh, and always seemed kind of mad, the thought that I would yeah. be able to. And it's, you know, it's one of the biggest jobs in magazines and Empire, I think, is pretty much one of the best magazines going. I mean, oh, I would say that. I kind of have to say it. If I didn't, then something would be going wrong. that and Empire of Viz are the only magazines I've consistently bought my whole life. So. And I am <laughs> so proud to be there alongside Viz, as I'm sure you know. So, um, so I, you know, I absolutely, I love it and I have the most creative, talented, um, passionate team I've ever worked with, which just makes it Amazing. incredible. And I get to watch films for a living. There's like always a mad moment when it's like a Wednesday afternoon, yeah. it's two o'clock, and I, sh- I always think, I always feel like I'm skiving school, do you know yeah. what I mean? Because you should not be sat in the pictures yeah. at that time on a weekday. 
and it kind of blows my mind that that's something that you can get paid for doing. Do you, so, are you a person who? Because um, these start with things people are scared of. Going to the cinema by yourself is something yes. I fucking love. And yes. like, some people are really anxious about it. Yes, I love it. So I go to the cinema on my own. I mean, obviously I go to a lot of screenings on my own for work, but that for me is completely different. Right. What I really love is going to the pictures by myself and taking myself on a me date. Oh, yeah. And um, I go and I make a big fuss out of it. Uh, So two weeks ago, I went to see a Goodfellas and an 11pm screening at Screen on the Green. So I booked a lovely seat, a fancy sofa seat. Although I couldn't book a two-person sofa seat because I'm a one-person, which made me furious. And the one seats are kind of on the outside. They're not the best seats. So I had to kind of get over that. But then I went. I um, I took an Uber there. I dressed up for it. I dressed up for myself. And then I got there and I got a bottle of champagne to myself, some <sighs> jelly babies, and sat there and just had an absolute fucking whale of a time. It was brilliant. It's the best. Well, I love it. I can only match that with the me date you told me to go on because I was yes. a couple of hours to kill lately uh, in Soho, and I took myself to yeah Herman's a German stopped mm-hmm. up, and then I went to the Prince Charles Best Cinema in London, and I went to see The Love Witch on your recommendation, yes. and it was like half empty cinema. It was so good. It is. It is. And I think I think there's going to the pictures mm. with people you love and yeah. people you share some kind of connection with mm. is really great because you have a completely different experience. But mm. I think sometimes when you just want to experience the film, you don't mm. want any distractions, you don't want any other people, you don't want to think about the person sat next to you. It's a really selfish, lovely, luxurious way to experience films. And I do also like horror films on my own, I've done. I've you done do, absolutely. You've got really, um, I would say... I, the thing I always think of you as most being a fan of is you like really fine films, quite grotesque films. Yes, yes. Sort of, uh, that sort of genre. Yeah, I mean, specifically, um, social realism is kind of a big thing for me. So whether it's Cares, whether yeah. it's Scum, whether it's Dead Man's Shoes, yeah. which, whatever it is, I, you know, Dead Man's Shoes, arguably in terms of social realism, maybe <laughs> is, is a little bit more uh, distant. But I love very violent films. Yes. Um, usually very violent working class films, yeah, of which oh, there are many. Um, so I, you know, when I was little, I used to watch Scum, like, constantly. It's my <laughs> favourite, favourite film. I had it on VHS, and I used to play it, like, once a week when I was, like, eight or nine. Holy shit. And I loved it. And I still love it. And there's this weird thing, and I swear to God, this is true. It makes me feel calm. So watching, if I feel anxious yeah. or have anxiety, I watch a super violent film. Same with Dead Man's Shoes. Yeah. Super violent film. And it makes me feel relaxed. Why? I don't know. And I've been thinking that... I've been thinking lately about whether I need therapy as I kind of get towards 40. And I was thinking, maybe this is something I could bring up with a therapist, which yeah. is, I don't watch, you know, rom-coms make me super anxious. Uh, any kind of really, anything that's like a fable or some mm-hmm. kind of pure narrative, honestly, like really freaks me out. It makes me super uncomfortable. Because so. you know what's coming? Or I don't does know. it speak to you? It alienates you? Sorry, I'm from Montpellier. I know. Yeah. I don't know what it is. And it just seems... That kind of version, that perfect version or that kind of sanitised view makes me super uncomfortable. So, you know, Godfather 2 is one of my favourite films. It is my favourite film. Godfather, Goodfellas, I particularly like violent films. I don't, I will caveat this with I'm not a fan of violence towards women on screen. No. Oh, okay. Interesting. It's mainly man man on man Man on man violence. (laughs) Yes. I'm getting very niche now. (laughs) 
but that's uh, interesting because I think there's certainly the, like there's this there's this it's almost it's not a genre of itself but the the, the fil- films about violence with women mm. in do you are you a fan of those like Russ I mean Fast Boys Get Kill 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 no. Bill those kind of films um, no I am so Kill Bill I love yeah, because yeah. it's very pulpy yeah. it's very overblown comic book type mm. violence which isn't really violent yeah. you know you see and also you have Beatrix Kiddo who is an amazing yeah. female protagonist at yeah. the heart of it and when she's fighting against other women, it's warriors against each other. Yeah. What I find really difficult to watch is, is any kind of social realism which has um, a power imbalance and men being balanced towards yeah. women. So Neil by Mouth, I've tried to watch probably twice, mm. and I never made it more than kind of 20 minutes in. Yeah. Um, and I grew up in a very violent household, and I think I find it really difficult to see that kind of on screen, especially anything that really deals with class and all of that. Yeah. But, you know, something like Kill Bill, I think, is brilliant because it's... The violence is so... It's so choreographed mm-hmm. and so beautiful in many respects. And it is, you know, it's a craft and it's an art and they're warriors with their samurai swords. Yeah. Um, you know, when so she's... So stylised, yeah. So stylised and so... It's so, as far away as you can get from social realism. Yeah. You know, it's not Ray Winston with a snooker ball and a sock in yeah. scum, you know. Yeah. It's, it's a woman with a samurai sword chopping off the top of, uh, yeah. of her head. It's beautiful. So it's just cartoon violence, isn't it? Which, yes. is, which is probably my for the, the gore and splatters. Yes. And like, yeah, I think it's so... It's weird when you said that, though, because I think there's there's a scene that really has that... It's like a queasy overlap between mm. too real and cartoony and all the kind of good shit that goes, which is in true romance. The yes. bathroom scene. When... Uh, yes. With, which is just... Fucking oh, oh uh, yeah. James Gandolfini just beating the shit out of Patricia Arquette, and because it's such a fairy tale film, and you know it's gonna end well, and it's it's like a love story. It's such a rom com. It's such yeah. a brilliant rom com. But that scene is so it's really very uncomfortable because of it. it's probably the only like realistic violence in the film which is a film yeah. full of violence towards it but it's so horrible yeah and I do that's I in True Romance is my second favourite film yeah. of all time yeah, no, I, which is why we can talk about it yes. freely because we, we, we love it so much it's like but it definitely makes me uncomfortable that yeah. scene I find really hard mm. because he's physically so much bigger than her yeah. and even though in many respects, you know, verbally and she and with the screwdriver, um, not screwdriver, the bottle opener, she yeah. the corkscrew. She very much tries to give as good as she gets, yeah. um, and she obviously She's no spoilers, but she gets the better of him in the yeah. end. Yeah, um, but it is very. There's something very uncomfortable when you know it's the moment he punches her straight in the face and you hit yeah. bone on bone. That is really, yeah. really difficult, I think, to watch. But as you say, you kind of. And it's not there for violence' sake, yeah. which I think some violence against women in films yes. is. Um, it's not there for violence' sake. She's she's certainly not your stereotypical victim. It, on the surface, it seems like a boys' film. It's like literally nerdy boy gets rescued by a beautiful prostitute mm-hmm. with a heart of gold, and and they you know win the get the money and save the day and look really cool yes. the whole time doing it. But it really speaks. I, it, like all my best girlfriends is one of their favourite films. <laughs> This is it, baby. Moment of truth. Got a lot of hot kid, you know that? You wanna play? Hmm? Is that what you want? You wanna play with daddy? Come on. Come on, I'll give you one shot, cause I like you. Stick it in me, baby. 
stick it in daddy stick it in me go ahead come on come on come on What's the scariest thing you've seen recently then? So recently, probably um, Raw. Uh, oh, I still haven't seen it. I hate myself so much because I feel like there's yeah. this, like there's all these amazing women yeah. coming out and they're talking about because before there was literally like ginger snaps. That was about yes. it. Like the only film about yes. being a woman that was a horror that was about the disgusting, yeah. weird, visceral nature of womanhood and like then then all of a sudden it was like revenge. There was love witch. Yeah. And then there's the like raw and things like that. And I'm like, I can't believe I haven't seen it yet. Cause it, I know. And it's not a traditional, this, it's not the jumps and the, mm. it's, it's a creeping kind of sense of dread and revulsion and horror. And, you know, and for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's a French Belgian cannibal coming of age <laughs> horror film is probably the best way I can, um, I can describe it. Female filmmaker. Mm. Um, the cast is predominantly female. It's it's incredible. And it very much. I mean, it's very symbolic in lots of ways, mm. and it's kind of one giant metaphor for um, coming of age mm. and for discovering who you are. As all the best horrors are. Right. <laughs> so, but it's um, it's just that they scene in it, which I shan't ruin. And once you've seen it, you'll know exactly what to okay. There is a scene in it in which I. I saw it twice and I audibly gasped both yeah. times and the second time I knew exactly what was coming but it's so kind of shocking and horrifying mm. kind of the best horrors for me are have a layer of humanity and a layer of um, some kind of emotional um, just evocative in that way which, which yeah. builds it out and makes it feel you know because then the horror and the fear and the scare is bigger and more yeah. um, pronounced and has a different nuance to it I think Totally. No, when the, when the horror is making a point about how human beings feel about themselves, particularly interesting when it's about women, mm. at the moment it just wasn't this amazing tidal wave of like women doing it. Yeah. But you, you know, people saying the exorcist isn't scary because it's supernatural. To me, exorcist is just about being a teenager. It's like it, it's, the fear of women becoming pubescent yes. and their bodies changing and you not being able to control them. Mm-hmm. It's so like, but it's all it's all there under the surface. It's about a girl pissing on a carpet and shouting at astronauts. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. really is, like, yeah. it's those kind of yeah, ginger snaps. Carrie from yeah. Foxy. Carrie's literally one of my favourite ones ever. And it's the you know it's the inherent fear built into patriarchal society yes. of, of women when they are at their most powerful, yeah. when they're discovering that power. And I always think there's an interesting kind of window in terms of socialisation between women developing that power and then it being squashed down yes. and repressed by. And I think there's this beautiful window. And I think that's really when you think about the Exorcist, what they're exploring yes. is this bit when you have all this power kind of in your body and you yeah. realise, oh my God, I'm capable of creating another yeah. human being. I'm Frankenstein, I, I can make life. Yes, yes. I am a yeah. life giver. Yeah. I'm a life creator. Yeah. I can take away life. I have yeah. this amazing power yeah. and control that men do not have. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of, if you look at anything, if you look at... Um, birth control if you look at abortion rights mm. if you look at mm. some of the stuff around women's health care yeah. women's reproductive rights you know it's a, you are then from a very young age told how to keep it under control and how yeah. to regulate it and how to exist within society yeah. with this power and I, I think that kind of window of time is really really exciting and that's what oh, the absolutely. great that's where the teenage yeah stuff with teenagers but yeah it's so interesting that whole kind of uh, the, the male control of, of, of women's bodies mm. being being uh, such a trigger for horror. Yes. Because there's this... So I realised on the way over here, this is why it's in my head, is like, it's... I think it's so important for women to scare men because mm-hmm. 
we are scared of them all yes. the time. Yes. With the society, not all yes. men. Hashtag not all men. But the patriarchy, the, yes. the fucking what's going on in America at the moment and what's going yeah. to happen here soon is... The fear of it. So I think when women can scare men, they absolutely should. Yeah. Just remind them how we feel all the time. And I was on the tube the and I was just doing my makeup on the train, as I do yeah. every day. And are you a train or makeup train girl? I was doing it at my desk just before you got oh, here. You look cool. So yeah, but I do it on any form of public transport yeah, going. Exactly. And I and there was a bloke who was just looking at me like horrified. And I really and, and I think isn't that brilliant? I can frighten mm. that that men can be scared of the fact that I'm just like putting on my face and you analyse it and you realise that actually it's because what you're telling them by doing that also because like you're poking your eye with yeah, a mascara yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. terrifying like yeah you're like if you're curling your eyelashes it looks like you're in clockwork orange and stuff but also it's like you what you're telling them is that you're doing you're not doing this for them mm-hmm. you're doing it for someone else some yeah. other bloke in their head obviously yeah. I was doing it for you entirely you know? <laughs> <laughs> Terry and I have the most immaculate eye in the world it's like like oh I must make sure my eyeliner is perfect. But yeah, there's something, I think there's something about like the anger that you're doing something for someone else. Mm. Like it really digs into that kind of horrible Mm. primal place. Again, not on land, but Mm. a lot. Well, I think we were, it's really funny, me and a couple of boys on Empire were talking about this the other day, Mm. how actually, you know, the fear that men have is always there. And what they work at doing is trying to overcome that fear and they don't know how to articulate it. Um, And the, their fear of losing control and losing control of women um, is fundamentally at the heart of, you know, Christ. If our society mm. is, is destroyed by anything, it's going to be by the fragile egos of particular, yeah. specifically white men. Not all white men. Not all white men. If you look at certain <laughs> very and specific we, we, white men. We throw in cis and straight as well. Cis so and we straight. Go, okay, cis, cis and straight, straight, white men. Yeah. Yes, and that fear, and it is funny, you know, and I read something, somebody said, you know, women... I saw it on social media. Men are afraid women are going to laugh at them, and women are afraid men are going to kill them. And yeah, and, and, yeah that's and my um, and my online editor and I were talking yeah. about, and he said, I can't imagine what it's like to be a woman because I never really thought about how you you spend your lives in fear constantly because for no other reason, all of the social stuff aside, he said for no other reason than physically you are so much weaker, mm-hmm. physically weaker than men yeah. that. You must. And I said, yeah. I said, when I walk home alone, if I've been to a screening and I'm getting the last tube or yeah. I'm getting the bus, I think about the walk from the bus stop to my house. The reality is that as a woman, the, the, your, our physical kind of weakness around most men is a huge thing. And it does mean we, you know, I said to him, there, I am scared multiple times a week. Yeah. Um, and you, I constantly think about my safety. Yeah. Um, and it's not, and he said it's something that men just do not have to deal with. He said men can be arguing with each other. He said, but what we don't have is that constant sense of fear yeah. and um, lack of power if you do end up in a certain situation and you, and you are unable. Absolutely. Well, I think this, this, is, this came up on the podcast before with Sally, Sally Hughes when she was on, but we were talking about how men think they know what it's like to be a woman because oh, I was walking down the street there was a bloke behind me and I thought he was going to mug me. Yeah. And what we were saying was, we hope he's going to mug Yes. Us. We hope that all that happens is we hand over like an iPhone yeah. 5 and, <laughs> yeah. and like a bag of makeup that they're not going to know what to do. So yeah, just take it, it's fine. That's that's the best case scenario of a creepy bloke following you home yeah. is that you might get mugged, but that's, yeah. Yeah, anyway. the, threat, the threat of sexual and physical violence is kind of, yeah. is woven into into our kind of existence. And I think the, the unfortunate thing is there are certain men in certain positions of power who very much um, want to keep that mm-hmm. the way it is because it enables a certain control over women um, and you know 
mentioning a name's president. President <laughs> Trump. Can you believe no, that there's actually words no, that come out of your I'm mouth? Not, Together, not. President Trump. No, I'm not even going to... Uh, and I'm just literally thinking about it live in the room. But like, but like with, with something like Scum, and as I say, you know, when I was nine, it was my favourite film. Mm. And, um, you know, we spent time in a women's refuge when I was ten um, because of violence in, with my mum's partner. And there was kind of, that happened quite a lot growing up. And I, I kind of, in a way, it's kind of not escapism then. So I don't know if in, yeah. in some way I was trying to control what was happening at home by, wow. by knowing, because obviously when the narrative unfolds on screen, I used to watch it over and over again, even though I knew the way it was going to turn out. I don't know if that gave me some feeling of control. Do you know what I mean? In, yeah. in that I, could, I knew how the narrative was going to go, whereas obviously in, in my case at home, it was kind of... There was no ending. There was no ending and it was just kind of an open... So but I've never literally thought about that until this minute. So um, Wow, well, that's really interesting. And thank you. I mean, I think it's... Uh, it's such a weird word to use, but it's. I think it's amazing, brilliant that you talk mm. about this stuff. And like, it, it, you, you are. You've always struck me as someone who's really brave about, or uh, is brave in the right word? I don't know, but, mm. but quite fearless about what you talk about and how open you are about these things because there is no shame in talking about no. this stuff. And I think, do you, is that like an active decision in your life? Yeah, that, that, I, that you're open like that. I think the si- I think silence around. Around any kind of trauma and around any kind of, um, especially stuff within families, I've been real being my body about stuff within families, whether it be physical violence, sexual violence, any of that stuff, because I think it, it's all kind of supported and bred by silence and by complicity in silence. And I think this country has struggled, and I think lots of countries have struggled over the last kind of 30 to 50 years in terms of addressing that actually it's not okay what goes on behind closed doors and that society as a whole does have a a kind of obligation to mm-hmm. to make it their business yeah. um you know i remember when we were growing up a neighbor um after we'd come back from the refuge a neighbor said to my mum oh um we used to hear you and the kids screaming but we we didn't think it was our business and i remember and that stuck with me yeah. because the thing that stops them knocking on the door and saying we know what's happening it's not okay or calling the police was it's not our business it's private business I don't know if it, I wouldn't call it private business if the screams of kids and a woman are kind of floating over into your house but that was very much how they felt and I think that kind of attitude is reinforced by the fact people don't talk about yeah. it people are very ashamed it's seen as a private thing and I think that silence and that kind of privacy attached to it allows allows men in that situation to carry on yeah. abusing without fear of kind of being exposed or being caught. Absolutely. I think the police and the courts are doing what they can to catch up, yeah. um, but there's still a lot of work to be done. And I also just think, you know, there's a sense that if you come from a certain type of background, I grew up on a council estate, my mum was a single mum, married quite a few times, but she was um, a single mum, we lived on benefits. And I think there's, I hate that narrative, which is if you come from that kind of background and you go through any trauma or you have a difficult childhood, then you, you know, you, you become a gym slip mum and you live off the government and, and all of that kind of negative benefit street type, awful Tory kind of mythology that I think is, is constantly expressed is just not true at all. Like people who grew up where I grew up, some of them still live there. Some of them, I mean, a lot of them still live there, but, you know, people have... You can go on to have happy, successful lives. You don't have to be defined in many respects no. by, by, where you're, by where you're from and what you've seen. Absolutely. But I think it's certainly... I don't know if 
yeah, I wouldn't want to dignify what's happened to you by saying that's made you the person you are. Mm. But certainly, you are <clears throat> certainly a, a incredibly fearless. Seemingly, mm. obviously, you're not fearless because yes. you talk about being frightened all the time, which I think is a form of yes. bravery. Is talking about stuff, shining a fucking torch on the shadows yeah. and going, "Look what was in there." It's 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 so brave to do that, and yet it seems like you're being really vulnerable. Yeah. Um, sometimes like ripping the top layer of skin off is actually mm. like the most brave thing you can do, but actually people think you're being really vulnerable by doing it. And you're going, "No, I'm just getting on." Yeah. Yes. It's um. Uh, but yeah, I think you've done. You've certainly done things. I think in your career that struck me as really brave, probably because to you they're not. <laughs> like I'm going to get on a plane and go to America and end yes. time out. If you've had nothing bad happen to you, like that's probably like, oh, how am I going to be? And you're yes. just like, I'm going to go do this amazing thing. Yeah, yeah, and I'm always like, what's the worst that can happen? Like, yeah. like when when really bad shit happens to you, you're like, it can't be that bad. And yeah. it's all for me, life's an adventure, really. And yeah. the moment you kind of. I've always never wanted fear to stop me doing anything. And that's not to say I haven't been afraid. Like, going to America was... You know, I was 32 when I first moved to New York. And I'd had a life in London for 10 years. I'd had great jobs. I'd edited shortlist. I'd I'd worked with the same people for pretty much 10 years. I had an amazing group of friends. It's close to my family. So it was like... There was no actual reason to go. And I was thinking... And a couple of people said to me, Oh, God, are you sure? And, you know, 32, going to a city where I knew one person to a job, a big job, and um, I'd have to make new friends, and I'd know where to live, and and I was like, this is, okay, even by my standards, maybe this is a bit ambitious, and I was like, fuck it, like, what, what is the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is it goes terribly wrong, yeah. I get fired, I come home, I, move, I slip back into the life I had before, yeah. but I think my, my bigger fear is actually not doing something and regretting it and then for the rest of my life looking back going what could have been what would that experience have been like so I'd much if I've got doubts I'd much rather do it Mm. and then deal with the consequences I come from a place where I didn't really have any opportunities Mm. and I felt like life was happening to other people around me and I was waiting for my turn Mm. and ever since I've been independent enough to move out of home and get an education and move to London I've always been completely determined to make the most of every opportunity that's come my way. And welcome to Rule of Three, a podcast about comedy. I'm Joel Morris. I'm Jason Hazley. And as usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. Martin's voice really jumped up Just onto emerged. my back <laughs> and sneaked round to the side of my neck and went down my throat and then came out again. And suddenly, there he was. I think I'm the only scaffolder or ex-scaffolder to have been on a BAFTA type stage. There's more money in faces. There's more money in faces, but there's no control... That's what I like. I can't control. control I can't control where I put my face. And Rory sort of pitched to James, can the can flute be the last word? Because I think that's the funniest mm. word to end on. And James went, I know it is, and that's why I don't want it to be at the end. But yep. there's this idea that there's a limited amount of space for funny. It's like when men think they have to go out with someone who's not funny. <laughs> as if, like, but if she's funny, what'll I do? You're like, you'll both laugh! You will both have a laugh! Great
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, I did, I have to say, the one that stuck with me growing up, and I still can't watch it to this day, is Watership Down. There he goes. <laughs> very much um, and I, I was listening to the lyrics of that song Let It Go and I'm like this is a bit much for a five year old like it's um, it's such a drag anthem Let It Go or oh my god 100% because if you talk to anyone who's other for whatever reason yeah. whether they're gay or bi or trans or queer or, 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 or like from an ethnic minority yeah. or, just, or just a woman in a man's world the lyrics to Let It Go everyone reckons it's about that they secretly yeah. oh really that's a song about being mm-hmm. blank because it's just such an other anthem it's just it's just like an anthem for just like I can't be a good girl what's going to happen I know I've got a fabulous makeover yeah. <laughs> I know and she sings it in my niece who's, who's three years old um, four years old sorry she, um, she sings it and I swear to God I'm like those words sound very weird coming out of your mouth because I you know I'm like oh this is a metaphor oh, and yeah. she's like the cold never bothered me anyway. And I'm like, that's a metaphor. It's not the literal cold. Yeah, it's, a, it's the ice castle. Yeah. You, you, you must build your own ice castle of enjoyment yeah. if you're weird and can't control your powers, yeah. whatever your powers might be. Exactly. Which is 
being a woman or oh, I fucking love Frozen. So now let's talk about your favourite scary moment in okay. film or TV. Okay, ever, so which I know is really hard for you. It is, but and there may be some debate around this because I drew a list of horror films when we were doing like a poll for Empire, mm. and I got into a fight with somebody about this whether this was a horror film. I see it very much as a it's a it's definitely a hybrid genre film. Mm. So I'd say it's a horror thriller. Mm. Maybe with a bit of comedy, but maybe. So it's Dead Man's Shoes. Okay. Which is my my fifth favourite film of all time. People who commit evils in God's eyes are not beyond redemption. So I love Shane Meadows. Mm. I think he is one of this country's um, most remarkable filmmakers. He's a true auteur, really, Mm. because he has a very specific vision of filmmaking. Um, and I think Dead Man's Shoes is kind of the perfect articulation of that because uh, Paddy Constantine is in it, he's the lead and it's about him essentially um, with that I'm trying to trying not to do it's really hard not to do spoilers about Dead Man's Shoes but he's a soldier and he returns home and it's about his relationship with his brother and with some kind of locals that have been bullying his brother in his absence however it takes, it's the last act, especially for me, is a classic horror film. And there's this fantastic moment, the scariest moment for me. Um, there's two moments I want to talk about, actually. The first one is just pure, pure fear and horror. And this is, there is a moment when he drugs this gang of boys and men who've been bullying his brother, who um, has learning difficulties. And he finds them, and uh, he drugs them with this kind of hallucinogenic drug. And he gets them all in this house and it's shot from their perspective. So they are coming in and out of consciousness. The room is spinning. They're seeing things. There's a distortion in perspective. And Paddy Constantine is wearing the gas mask, which he's very famous for for this film. And he's wearing this gas mask and he just appears. And the hot, and they're all spinning out and you're getting this. And you, you because you're seeing it from their perspective, it's totally disorientating. It's totally terrifying. He's just this kind of static terrifying man in a gas mask Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just I mean it's perfectly shot it's some of the most kind of bonkers filmmaking I've seen but it's just also like pure terror and horror Mm -hmm. and you really feel what these guys are feeling at that time which is just one of the most devastating. And this is kind of what I was saying before yeah. about the emotional punch. Yeah. He lands an emo- emotional punch in the third act that is just one of the most kind of de- devastating 20 minutes in, in film, um, yeah. which is, again, and just, you know, that's classic Shane Meadows, being able to move between humour, there's hum- great humour in the first act, to be able to move through that to this kind of sheer proper horror film and then kind of into this really emotional kind of story of brothers essentially um, 
So in many respects, it's a perfect film, I would say. Um, I have a different connection to British films than I do to American mm. films, especially films about the working classes and mm. films set um, in small kind of towns. And, um, and it was really funny because when I moved to New York, I really missed... Um, I didn't realise how much I missed British TV programmes and British films and I started to kind of watch them obsessively because it made, gave me a sense of home and gave, mm. reminded me kind of where I was from so oh. I watched Dead Man's Shoes quite a lot then but I also used to watch Crime Watch like, and I even, I got so desperate I went back on YouTube and started to watch like 10 year old episodes of Crime Watch I even went back to Jill Dando years like Oh, but that's another layer of horror in itself. Well, yeah. How scary was that? Oh, my God. And then I started to watch Jill Dando documentaries. I went down this rabbit hole. Jill Dando rabbit hole? (laughs) It went down the Jill Dando rabbit hole. I was watching Jill Dando documentaries. And it was, yeah. That was was when I was experiencing a particular kind of homesickness. This is, given what we've discussed already, (laughs) it's such a weird question I'm not going to ask you. Go on. Don't feel you need to keep it light. What what scared you as a kid? Oh, you know, was it like when Ant went blind on Biker Grove? Oh, really? like Johnny Granger? You know, apart from the constant threat of physical violence. <laughs> <laughs> the other kids in the battered women's refuge? No. Um, no, they weren't that scary. Um, so actually, so I developed a major obsession. I had two major obsessions as a kid. Mm. And again, this is kind of psychologically revealing, <laughs> I feel. The first one was UFOs. <sighs> And actually, I got into UFOs when we were staying at the Battered Women's Refuge because I was... We were taken there and we stayed with lots of other families and obviously provisions aren't exactly plentiful. But in a cupboard, I found this book on UFOs and it told the story of real people who'd been taken by UFOs. And I became obsessed with UFOs and I became convinced slash hopeful that I was going to be kidnapped by some aliens. So one whole... After we'd gone home, there was one whole six-week holiday where I didn't sleep pretty much more than an hour a night because I was convinced if I fell asleep the aliens were going to come and kidnap me from my bed experiment on me and then put me back and I just kept thinking it's not like robbers because the doors are going to keep them out because they're aliens from outer space they send down beams I died exactly because we're at similar age aren't we yes. and there was a very 90s 80s 90s thing of UFOs, it was all greys, it was all like yes. grainy footage videos that were leaked mm-hmm. to alien autopsies, all that kind of shit, all the, yeah. all the techniques of your dealer posters. There was a real like UFO thing that went off the X-Files, Jesus, I mean, yeah. I know. That and was, then um, my second, mm. and they kind of didn't overlap, thank God, because it might have been a bit too much. This was a little bit later, actually, I must have been maybe 14. And I became obsessed with nuclear war. Yeah. Again, I feel like this is a very generational yeah. thing. So yeah, I was listening to, I had my hi-fi on, mm-hmm. and I was listening to Radio 1, and somebody on Newsbeat said something about Nostradamus and about him saying a nuclear war was going to kill us all in the year... Um, Fire, he will destroy their city. An inhuman, cruel heart, cold. Blood will pour. Mercy to none. 1997 or the year 2000 one of them we're going to die in one of them um, 1997 we were all going to die yeah. in a nuclear war and I just heard this snapshot this was before we had the internet really so I couldn't just go Google, obsessively Google it which may not have helped quite frankly <laughs> so I just became obsessed I became yeah, yeah, like the, the, when you couldn't Google so, stuff when you were catching little glimpses of oh things, my god yeah. and I was and I was I would sit in my room I, when I was growing up I didn't I was very studious I was head girl at school I did not have many friends I didn't really leave the house a lot so I just sat in my bedroom listening to the Eagles, who I was in at that, that point for what reason I can't remember. 
And I just used to obsess about the fact we were all going to die. And so I remember once me and my mum were driving somewhere down the motorway. And I look out the window and she's like, what's wrong? And I go, see all this? And like gestured at the field. She was like, yeah, I was like, pointless. Because it's all going to be gone. Because we're all going to die in a nuclear war. And she was like, fucking hell, you're cheery. I was like, it's true. You're going to be dead. I'm going to be dead. They're all going to be dead. We're all going to die. Nuclear explosions are caused by weapons such as H-bombs or atom bombs. They are like ordinary explosions, only many times more powerful. Is there a specific, if we haven't touched on it already, is there a specific fear you live with now? Life is long and it's weird and the road never goes where you expect it to mm. and shit happens and kind of the brilliant thing, I think when you're young, you just feel like you're at the beginning of everything so everything seems terrifying and everything seems daunting and everything mm. feels like it's going to be the end and everything yeah. feels so huge. like a huge calamity yeah. whereas now I think you know the amazing thing about getting older is that kind of fear doesn't really there yeah. are manageable bits of fear which I use you know I have a fear of being fired because that would be shit <laughs> so that kind of motivates me to be good I have a fear of, of not doing great work or, as no, or of not doing of losing my creativity or not being innovative or doing you know I have a fear of those things but I think that fear is really useful because I think it's fuel to keep you going A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.